Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with J.T. McCormick. Mindset, choices, and hard work equal success. J.T. McCormick is currently the president and CEO of Scribe, formerly In a Box, a publishing company that's created an entirely new way for you to write a book. The company has worked with more than 900 authors and was recently ranked in their category as the number two best company to work for in Austin. Previously, he was the president of Headspring Software and helped grow it to a multi-million dollar company, which was repeatedly ranked as one of the best places to work in all of Texas. JT is also the author of I Got There, How I Overcame Racism, Poverty, and Abuse to Achieve the American Dream. His book tells us the story of how he worked his way out of poverty, starting his career cleaning toilets, and eventually becoming the president of multiple companies. Over the past five years, JT has mentored at-risk students in the juvenile justice system, as well as youth within low economic communities. He has also coordinated backpack drives for numerous elementary schools, providing over 3,000 backpacks filled with school supplies for students. JT's work has been featured on CNBC, Entrepreneur, Forbes, Inc., and many others. He lives in Austin, Texas, with his wife, Megan, and their three children, Ava, Jackson, and Elle. So welcome, JT McCormick. How are you? I am excellent, always excellent. Great. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I'm ready, always. (laughs) Awesome. Now, JT, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? I tell you what I'm doing now, and then we can dive into any details you want around the path. Currently, I am the president and CEO of a publishing company called Book in a Box, and Mm -hmm. we've created a new way for authors to turn their ideas into books. So that is what I'm currently doing. And prior to that, I was the president of a software company. Mm -hmm. So what was the path that got you to where you are now? Yeah, so I will say at the software company, I don't know if I want to say it found its way to me or Mm -hmm. because when I was at the software company, I started as the lowest paid employee. I was number 13. And within about two and a half years, I became the president of the software company. So I was employee number 13. We used to make our calls from a storage closet. And we grew the company from 13 people to well over 100. And we had offices in 
Austin, Dallas, Houston, and Monterey, Mexico. So we did a great job scaling the company, worked with a phenomenal group of people and software engineers. And so through that growth, you know, leadership just kind of came into play and presented itself. And I went from lowest paid sales guy to the EVP of sales and marketing to the president of the company. So I didn't set out on a mission to, you know, I want to be a leader. I want to be a president. I want to be a CEO. Those things just kind of happened as I continued to work hard and do all I could to help grow the companies. So it doesn't happen by accident. The focus of the podcast really is to collectively grow in our leadership. So I'm very curious about this because we all aspire to do our best. So what was it about that time? What was it that you focused on? Did you focus on building yourself? Did you focus on adding value to others? What was it that got you from the 13th, the lowest paid employee to president? So I actually live by a formula and it's Mm -hmm. called mindset choices and hard work equals success. And what I mean by that is mindset. So each morning I wake up at 4 a.m. I'm very structured, disciplined routine. And so many people will ask me, okay, how do you get up at 4 a.m. every morning? And I tell them it's a mindset. I'm human. There's days where I don't want to get out of bed at 4 a.m. I want to stay in bed. I want to turn (laughs) off the alarm. I'm human. But I say to myself, there is someone in a hospital bed somewhere right now with cancer that would give anything just to get out of bed and walk to the restroom, let alone leave the hospital, just walk to the restroom on their own. And they'll never leave that hospital bed. And that motivates me to get up because then I realize I have the privilege to get out of my bed each and every day to accomplish my dreams and goals. And so that's the mindset. The choices are, and I'll admit this, many people won't admit this, I love McDonald's. And so on my way every day, I've got to pass McDonald's to get to the gym. So I have the choice. Do I stop at McDonald's and go back home or do I go to the gym? So there's the mindset, there's choices, and then, well, hard work. For me, that's the easy one. If you work 24 hours, Lily, I'm going to work 25. If you work 36, I'm going to go 37. I've never been afraid of hard work. And so that formula, mindset, choices, hard work equals success. I'll dive into that a little more. Many people are intrigued or highlight, celebrate. Wow, you went from number 13 to president. Right. But then they asked me how I did it, and a lot of people don't like the details of how I did it and what I did. And the fact of the matter is, in the five years I was with the software company, I only took 11 days vacation over the course of the whole five years. And we live in a society now where most people take 11 days vacation in the first quarter of each year. So in this world we live in, in our society, you hear people preaching work-life balance and things of that nature. And in my opinion, you don't go from lowest paid person to president of the company with your focus being work-life balance. You have to make some sacrifices. And the sacrifices that I made were I was willing to do what other people weren't willing to do. I was willing to stay those extra hours 
work on the weekends, whatever I needed to do to get wherever I wanted to be became the formula to my success. And this is very harsh when I say this as well. Out of the 11 days that I took in vacation, three of them were for the birth of my children. I took two days off for my firstborn. And there is a picture of me in the delivery room with my laptop open in the background. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and, you know, some people, I've had people tell me, that's just disgusting. I can't believe you didn't even take time. But if you want to know how I went from lowest paid to president, I'm going to tell you how I did that. So one may not like it, but mm-hmm. that is how I did it. And so for me, I'm a big believer in work ethic. And I don't mean this for everyone in our country. But somewhere along the line in our country, we lost our work ethic. And so I'm just a big believer in work ethic. Well, I really appreciate you giving us details. We do love details. That's why I drilled down on this. So I do have a question. Do you love what you do? Yes, I absolutely love what I do. I loved it at the software company, but I didn't write code. So, you know, one could say I wasn't passionate about it, but I love the people aspect of it. I loved walking around the office and everyone in that company earned their salary. Everyone worked hard in their career and their position, but I loved walking around and feeling like I had a hand or just a a crumb in when I would look at someone's picture and see that they got their son or daughter a, a bike for their birthday or Christmas, or when people would buy a new house, it really motivated me to know that I was a part of that in helping to scale the company. I always enjoyed knowing that our folks had benefits. And that's one less thing you have to worry about is that, you know, knowing that you have health care and if something happens to you. So, you know, here I am at the publishing company now and in many ways looking to do the same thing for, we call them our tribe. We don't say employees, our tribe members. So we're at 35 people now and some of those same things hold true. I absolutely love the fact that, you know, we have benefits now that we are a tribe of people where we want you to bring your whole self to the office and not just bring the work theater. So yes, I love what I do. I love the people. I believe in people, process, and profits. If you have great people, you can build great processes, which equal great profits. Thank you so much for that. Now, JT, how would you describe your leadership style? I ask questions. Even in a leadership role, this is an overused term, Lily. You hear so many people say servant leadership, and many people use the word, but they're so far from it. I'll give you a small example. There's many, but I'll give you a small one. If you go to most company websites, and you look at the About Us page, and you go to people, the first thing you see is the C-suite executives, the CEO, the leadership team, the executives, so on and so forth. Well, if you come to our About Us page, you'll notice that the two co-founders and the CEO, myself, we're at the bottom of the page. I believe that leadership is in support of the organization. And so we support the people who are actually doing all of the work. So if you come to the website and you're looking for me, the CEO, I actually want you to have to go through every person in the company to see who actually does the work in the company long before you get down to the bottom of the page and you see me, the CEO. Because again, I'm there in support of, meaning if the trash needs taken out, 
show me where the bags are. If someone needs coaching, if someone needs mentoring, learning, teaching, I'm there to support that as well. I sit out on the floor in our office. I don't sit in an office behind a door. I sit in the middle of the floor. I'm accessible and people can come and sit with me at any given moment and ask questions or just have a conversation with me. Wow, I can just envision that. That's pretty cool. I imagine us doing that in education where the superintendent or the principal is in the middle of the school building somehow and easily accessible. That would be really cool. I know it does happen and people are intentional about it, but to do it the way that you describe it, it's pretty special. So now I'm very curious. I also want (laughs) to check out your website. What's your website? It's bookinabox.com. That easy. Bookinabox.com. <laughs> I'm going to certainly look for you. Quick note. Since the interview, the website has changed to scribewriting.com. Now, JT, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I don't know that there are necessarily quotes that I go off of. Again, when I study leadership, I learn more from people's mistakes than I do their successes. And what I mean by that is success is actually pretty easy. If someone has a success, well, you just rip off and duplicate it. (laughs) And so that's the easy part. But I learn more through people's mistakes. If I had to say, and this ties more to just me personally, that there was a quote that I would live by that has stuck with me since I was a kid, I've always wanted to be judged by the content of my character. So that's obviously a Martin Luther King quote. And because I grew up a mixed race child, my father was black, my mother was white. I grew up being judged. Black people didn't like me because I was half white. White people Mm -hmm. didn't like me because I was half black. So from a leadership perspective, a quote that has served me well, I always just wanted to be judged by the content of my character. So that would be the number one quote that jumps out to me. Great. Now, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? A people first leader. They are willing to do whatever they ask someone else to do. And to go back to the question you asked me, what type of leader am I as well? No one works for me. People work with me. You hear a lot of people, oh, the people that work for me or my people, or I don't own them. Mm -hmm. These people have options. They can go work somewhere else. So Mm -hmm. people don't work for me. People work with me. And I find that to be very empowering for our tribe and for the people that work with us because I'm no more important to the organization than they are. That's pretty special. And language does matter. That little change in vocabulary and how you express or how you talk about them, they work with me. It does make a difference. Language is huge. And I'll share with you three words that I refuse. They do not come out of my mouth. Hope, wish, and luck. I'll explain. When I was a child and I would be at school and I would hope there was something to eat when I got home, it never produced anything. When Mm. I would open the refrigerator and I would wish there was food in there, it never produced anything. And for all those people who say, oh my gosh, the lottery winner is so lucky. No, they're not lucky. They bought a ticket. (laughs) So I'm I'm a big believer in the word belief because belief 
has to lead to execution. If you believe something, you have to execute. I can hope for a lot of things, which doesn't force me to have to execute because I can just sit back and hope for a promotion. Well, hope without execution, you're never going to get that promotion. You have to go execute. You have to do the work, put in the time, put in the hours, be great at attention to detail. So hope, wish, and luck, I refuse to use those words. Hmm. Well, that's certainly a different perspective because when you look at those words, you think of them as very positive, but how we use language is important. So thank you so much for that. Now, JT, what's the best advice you've ever received? This will tie to a leadership quote, and I believe it was Churchill. And if I'm quoting it wrong, I apologize. That's all right. right. We'll look Uh, it up. (laughs) But it's uh, never give up. Hmm. Never give up. Never give up. And to the verbiage piece that you talked about, the words, I believe you only fail if you stop trying. And what I mean by that is you only fail if you stop trying. So if I set a goal to lose 10 pounds by June 15th and June 15th comes around and I only lost eight pounds. Well, if I just say, well, the hell with it. And I stopped trying to lose weight and I gain all the weight back. Well, then I have failed. But if I say, okay, well, I'm going to give myself another two weeks to lose the additional two pounds and just reset the goal. So I believe you only fail if you stop trying. And so I just see the world from that perspective of never give up. And you're so spot on because sometimes that happens where we set a goal and our mindset is, oh, it has to happen. And if it doesn't, then we just give up instead of adjusting our sales, right? Instead of adjusting the plan. So I really appreciate that. Now, JT, what does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one? To have a good team is everything because you can't scale off of one person. If I had to say there was a leadership that I learned back at the software company is how much you really do need people in business, especially if you're in the service business. Now, if you have a product, you know, Lily, I could sell you my pin. You may not like me, but if you need this pin, then you're going to buy the pin. So that's a product. But in a service business, which we're in, you need people. In order to scale, you have to have people. And a very harsh lesson that I learned back at the software company is when I was in sales, all I cared about was closing the sale. I didn't care about what needed to be executed in delivering the software that I just sold. All I cared about was the sell. It's a very selfish mentality. And it took me about two years to realize, okay, wow, I can sell a billion dollars worth of services, but if I don't have the team to work with me in executing and delivering that software, it doesn't matter how much software I sell. And I had a very poor attitude. Like I came out and said, I don't care. I sold it, get it done. Mm -hmm. And that was just a very poor attitude. It was very selfish. It was very me driven and self-centered. And it was really eye-opening for me to realize, wow, okay, the day I became president, it flipped upside down for me that, oh, okay, I am no longer responsible for just me and what I sell. I am no longer just responsible for marketing and sales in that team. I am now responsible for the whole company. 
And so it was very eye-opening to me to realize that you've got to have great people and you've got to build great processes and again, equal great profits. And with those great profits, you can also be profitable as a company and do good for society. You don't have to just be a nonprofit. You can Mm -hmm. make money and still do good. But back to your point, that was very eye-opening to me to realize that in order to scale, in order to grow, in order to be great, you have to surround yourself with great people. So from a CEO perspective now, I live by the model that I never want to be the smartest person in the room. And in fact, if I'm ever the smartest person in the room, whoever's in there with me, we're all in trouble. Um, so, (laughs) So I'm big on surrounding the company, not just myself, the company and myself with the people who are far greater and smarter than I am. So we surround ourselves with these wonderful people, and especially you as the president, as the leader of the organization. How important is it to develop the people? Oh, wow. You're going down a great path, Lily. So it's interesting. In the world we live in now, and when I say this, I'm not speaking about every company. So let me preface this. But a great majority of the companies somewhere along the way, especially publicly traded companies, we lost our ability or desire to teach and coach and mentor. And what I mean by that is if Lily, you and I work for a publicly traded company and you come up to me like, Hey JT, can you go over this with me? Can you teach me this? Lily, I'm so sorry. You know, we got 45 days left. We got to hit our quarterly number. Everyone is in such a rush to hit that quarterly number so they can report to the shareholders, so they can report earnings, so the stock will continue to do well. We've got a lack of leadership in our country. We got a lack of coaching, mentoring, teaching in our country. And and if you notice there, I'll pause. You hear me say coaching, mentoring, and teaching. You don't hear me say training. You coach, mentor, and teach people. And so I'm very big on, I'll stop what I'm doing in the middle of the day. If someone has a question that's relevant for the entire tribe and company that we can all learn from, I'll stop what we're doing and we'll have a coaching, mentoring, and teaching moment. That's how you grow is when you're willing to stop and have those coaching, teaching, and mentor moments. When you're able to share those moments of learning and you can share throughout the organization, that's how you scale faster. So I'm big on coaching, mentoring, and teaching. Even within our company, sometimes we'll have a Wednesday where we all come into the office at six in the morning and we just have a learning session. They call it the hustle is real. And and we'll all sit at the table and we'll share knowledge. They'll ask me questions and I'll take them through different scenarios. But I also ask them questions in return, which force them to think about the questions they're asking me. I don't just give you the answer. I want you to actually think it through. So to your point, I'm huge on mentoring, coaching, and teaching. This is so intriguing to me. I wrote down, you train dogs. Yes. (laughs) So I have to change my vocabulary because leadership training is not going (laughs) to fly. Um, This is why I love doing what I do because I learn so much. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. 
Master Leadership at Schools podcast program will help prepare your students for any future they encounter. Teachers and students learn effective leadership and podcasting skills to create a platform that's an incubator for leadership, innovation, collaboration, and creativity. See this in action at masterleadership.org forward slash MLS and find out how to bring this to your organization. That's masterleadership.org forward slash MLS. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Just any challenge or? Whatever you want to share with our listeners. So the target audience, if we're looking at educators, and my goal is not to offend those listening, but I'm going to push a little hard here. I find it incredibly interesting that we live in a world, our society here in our country, where we're still teaching Columbus Day. Because we all know the truth behind that, but we still have this day. And why I challenge it is work with me here, Lily. Right now, there's a viral video going around, and it's of a teacher who's standing outside of his door, and he's doing a custom handshake with each one of his students. And why I applaud him for this, because he's got a connection with these kids, and so I don't want to take away from that aspect of him connecting with the kids. But here's my problem. Where's the viral video of the teacher who stands outside the room and shakes hands with these children each day and says, firm up your handshake, look me in the eye and say, good morning, Mr. Such and Such. How are you today? Because that lesson will serve me throughout my life. You teaching me a custom handshake and pounding me up and dabbing and and all of those things, I can't take that to a job interview, but I can take a handshake and a great to meet you nice to meet you, sir, in a firm handshake, that will serve me from the age of 15 through 85 years old. But we celebrate the custom handshake of the teacher, and that goes viral, which at the end of the day, I can't go dab the employer who's looking to hire me. Mm -hmm. So to your point, a challenge that I experienced was I come out of a failed education system. I never went to college. i did not graduate high school. I had to go to summer school to get my high school diploma. And I left the educational system that really never taught me anything. And it damn sure didn't teach me about how society actually works, how business works. Mm -hmm. And so that was a challenge for me that I had to overcome. So as educators, you know, a lot of us acknowledge that. A lot of us are looking to make a difference there. Part of the reason why I'm doing this is because we want to tap into people like yourself who learn to lead themselves well, connect with other people, and help us all grow collectively. I so appreciate your time and energy to serving us. Now, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? I've got three specifically that I keep with me. One is the marriage to my wife, two, the birth of my children, and three, I mentor high-risk youth and youth that are transitioning from the juvenile prison to the halfway house back into society. Mm -hmm. So when I first signed up to mentor, 
I went to the halfway house and I asked the superintendent, I said, okay, what do these boys need? (laughs) And the first thing out of his mouth were jobs. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, why don't they have them? And he goes, I don't know. And so I said, okay. So I walk over to the students and I said, okay, today, first thing we're going to do is role play. And immediately I realized these 14 to 17 year old boys, they looked at me and they're like, okay, what's role play? And so I go, wow, okay, we're really going to start at the foundation piece here. And so then we went to shake hands. 60% of these kids put their fist out to pound me, to fist bump me, whatever. They didn't know how to shake hands. And the ones that did, they gave you the limp handshake and they looked down. And and so they didn't know how to shake hands. Mm -hmm. They did not understand that when you walk into Burger King to get your first job, say, excuse me, sir, do you have any employment opportunities? Not y'all hiring. No one had taught them those basic lessons. So that's one of my proudest moments, coupled with the fact that I was able to arrange for those boys to come and take a field trip, if you will, to my office when I was at the software company. And many of these kids had never seen the inside of the workplace. They got to see double monitors, laptops, software code. We took them into the big conference room and they got to see two drop-down screens and I ordered pizza for them. They got to go into our break room and see that we had our own sodas, drinks, everything you could possibly ask for. And we ordered pizza and we played PlayStation on the big screens. Mm -hmm. And they got to see the elevators. They really were able to see what a company, what a business, what going to work looks like. Because for many of those kids, they would never get that opportunity. So for me, that right there is my third proudest moment behind my wife and children. So how did that land that day for them? And are you still doing this? I've had to pause. I still do the mentoring. Unfortunately, here in Austin, they closed the halfway house that I used to volunteer at, government budget restrictions and God knows what else. So they closed that particular halfway house. I do still do the mentoring and the teaching. I got to speak at the juvenile prison for the high school graduation And I let those boys know, hey, I was in juvenile prison just like you three different times. And so I still do it in a certain capacity. I used to do it every Tuesday until they closed the house. But now I just do it sometimes at high schools where they're lower economic communities and things of that nature. So yeah, I still do it. What was the second part of your question? How did they respond to that experience? They loved it. All you heard was oohs and ahs as they walked through the office and they got to see the little place where we called it the library and we just had books on top of books uh, and a couch and chairs for you to sit down and books on writing software code. They got to see the whiteboards with code and laptops and like I said, just details that they would never see. And here's the funny piece. A couple of the boys were so blown away. Mr. McCormick, Mr. McCormick, Wow, the doors on the restroom, they're incredible. Mm. These kids were so impressed because we had wood doors on the restroom stalls. Now, don't get me wrong, they were nice doors, but you and I wouldn't think twice about it because, Mm -hmm. okay, they're, they're wooden doors. But for these boys, they were like, wow, they've got these nice wooden doors on the restrooms. They were blown away by the elevator. I mean, it was okay, but they Mm -hmm. thought the elevator was incredible. So very receptive to it. They enjoyed it. They loved it. 
and you know, I don't do hope, wish, or luck, but my belief is that that moment will stick with them and they can go and do something with it. So that brings me to my next question, and I'm highly curious. Now, did I hear correctly? You said you were incarcerated three times. Is that correct? (laughs) As a kid, I was in juvenile three different times, yes. So what was that pivotal moment? Because you could have continued down that rabbit hole, and you didn't. You know, there was a corrections officer that looked at me the last time I got ready to leave the juvenile prison, and he said, hey, you know, if you ever come back here again, you're going to man prison, right? And Lily, I don't know what it is. I'm 46 years old now, but man prison to me still just sounds really bad. And so I, I didn't want to go to man prison. Well, he used the language. I, yes. I don't know what happens there. I don't ever want to know what happens there, but man prison scared the hell out of me. And so that was a real pivotal moment where I decided, okay, I never want to come back here again. Well, and see, that's where language is so important and how you communicate and connect with people. Because he said that simple sentence, and yet to you it landed in such a deep way that it shifted your life. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. Now, JT, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? One, don't be discouraged. So with my past, you've obviously heard a little bit of it. I'm 46. Mm -hmm. I was born in the 70s, mixed race. And, you know, back in the 70s, mixed race was not a nice thing Mm -hmm. to be. Black people didn't like you because you were half white. White people didn't like you because you were half black. My father, a pimp and drug dealer, he had 23 children. My mother was raised in an orphanage. And I don't even know where my last name comes from. I have my mother's last name and she was given that last name when she was in the orphanage. So why I share all of that with you, coupled with the fact that I was in juvenile three different times, I've also been sexually molested numerous times. To your point about new leaders, don't be discouraged ask yourself what you can do to implement change. And it may not be the very first time, the second time, the third time. Thomas Edison, it took him 10,000 times to come up with electricity. Now, one could argue, did he fail 9,000 times? Or did he find 9,999 times that didn't work before he found the one that worked? So I'm big on persistence. And if you are new into your leadership role, keep pushing, find what works, keep asking questions, don't give up, don't get discouraged. Discouragement does nothing for you. Stay positive. I can't change the past. I can't change the things that I went through as a kid, but I can change the next hour. I can influence next week, but I can't change the past. And me being discouraged right now does absolutely nothing. It takes more energy to be negative than it does to be positive. So if you ever ask me how I'm doing, if you go back to the beginning of this, you heard me say I'm excellent. I'm always excellent. I wake up in the morning and my feet hit the ground, I'm excellent. And if I don't like something in my life, it's up to me to change it. I'm just very moved by this. I really appreciate you sharing this. I just recently released my journey through forgiveness, which is the 100th episode. I talk about sexual abuse. So when you spoke on that, it hit home and it will hit home for many listeners. I know for me, I needed people in my life to help me through certain things. Tell me about that in your life, because overcoming or 
walking through your past, even though it is the past and you put it where it belongs, we still need to heal from it. Can you talk a little bit about that, people who spoke into your life or continue to speak into your life? You know, it wasn't until recently that some of the things even came to light that I talked about. And what I mean by that, I've spent the great majority of my professional career being whatever I had to be to get to wherever I had to go, not having a college degree. I didn't want you to know I didn't have a college degree. I didn't want you to know that my father was a pimp and had 23 children, or my mother was an orphan, or I don't know where my last name comes from. Hell, I didn't even want you to know my real name. My actual name is Javon. And the reason being is because I knew in the society that we live in, you would judge me based on my name. And so I went by JT McCormick because then you don't know who JT McCormick is. But if I put Javon, you're going to judge me right off the bat, just off of my name. Mm -hmm. So I spent the great majority of my life trying to separate myself from my past. And most of my life, my professional life, adult life was spent full of mistakes. I was horrible in relationships, horrible, just a monster. I've made bad decisions in leadership. And so you heard me say early on, I've learned from mistakes. To your point of people who have helped me, I did my book and I did it for my children. I never wanted my book to be public. I never wanted anyone to know my past, but I wanted my children to know. I wanted them to know where I came from, Mm -hmm. how I got here. What did I go through to accomplish the things that I did? I never wanted that book to be public. But through many conversations with people that I'm surrounded with, especially now in in our tribe and our company, our two co-founders, my wife, people really supported me and said, you know, JT, if you don't make your book public, you're doing a disservice to society. And so I made my book public through those conversations and support because I knew when that book went public, there were going to be many people who would read my story and say, hey, wait a minute, I thought JT had an MBA. Wait a minute, I thought JT was Hispanic or Latino. Wait a minute, I thought JT was this. And again, I was whatever I needed to be to get wherever I wanted to go. So some people would say, well, that was misleading or whatever. Again, I come from chaos. My goal was to be judged on the content of my character, my work ethic. And that was it. Not my name, not the color of my skin, not the parents that I was born into the world. I wanted you to judge me on, am I respectful? Am I kind to everyone? And that's what I live my life on. Those three things now are one, am I respectful and kind to everyone? Is my work ethic impeccable? And do I dress nice? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Love it. So tell us about your book and where we could find it. So it's on Amazon. The book is called I Got There, How I Overcame Racism, Poverty, and Abuse to Achieve the American Dream. And again, I never did that book for the public. We released it and it went public. And I have been overwhelmed by the people who email me and thank me and appreciate me putting my story out there. And so to go back to what you said a moment ago, talk about those people who have supported me. This was very recent. And since you brought up the sexual abuse part, my wife and I back in December were sitting on the couch. So when I say recent, we're talking the last six months. Mm -hmm. My wife and I are sitting on the couch and she asked me the question. She said, hey, why don't you ever let me initiate sex? 
And it took me a moment to think about it. And I said, I don't know. I had to think. So it took me about a week and it hit me that I had always been like that throughout my adulthood that I never let any woman initiate sex. And so I went back to her and I said, here's why. When I was five, six, seven, eight years old, one of my father's prostitutes used to force me to go down on her. And if I did it wrong, she would slap me in the head. Now I'm seven years old. What the hell is do it wrong or do it right? I don't know. And it was because of that moment, two things came of it. One, I swore that I would never let myself be in a position where I wouldn't know what to do. And the other piece too, it led to perfectionism for me. And as we all know, there's no such thing as perfect. So as much as perfectionism has served me in many positive ways in achieving my goals, it has also been very detrimental because you're chasing something that does not exist. There is no such thing as perfect. So my wife has been very supportive. The two co-founders of Book in a Box have been incredibly supportive as well as our entire tribe. So those are the people who have definitely helped support me because that book was done while I was at this company. It's actually how I got to the company. So they have been incredibly supportive of me. JT, I appreciate your transparency. I appreciate you sharing that with us because I know that's certainly a pivotal moment. And I love how you examine your life. And that's not easy to do, but you have to be intentional about doing that. And that's what helps us to grow in leadership and helps us to really heal from the past. So I appreciate that. You make a good point there, Lily. Examining your past, some, although chaotic, although ugly at times, there are so many valuable lessons mm -hmm. that I took from my past that have helped me in achieving my goals and dreams that have helped me in business. And I'll just share this quick one with you. It's a harsh lesson, but it's been a priceless lesson. When I was eight, nine years old, one of the rare times my father had picked me up for the weekend, we we're walking through the grocery store, specifically through the frozen food section, no clue why. And a little girl that I went to school with, I was in fourth grade, she walks by and she goes, hi, Javon. And I didn't say anything. I just put my head down, kept walking, ignored her like she wasn't there. And I feel this massive blow to the back of my head. I fall down, my nose hits the ground, my nose is gushing blood. And then out of nowhere, I get snatched up, pushed up against the frozen food door. I've got a forearm under my neck and it's my father. And he looks at me and he says, I don't care who it is. You speak and show respect to everyone. And that lesson has stuck with me my entire life. I speak to everyone, especially service individuals that work in the service industry. See, because CEOs, executives, they've got enough people kissing their ass. They don't need me to do it. But I'm very kind to the service industry people because many people overlook them and don't give them that respect that they deserve and speak to them. It's something as simple as a high. So that lesson was a harsh lesson, but it's a lesson that I very much want my kids to understand and, and know the value of. Now, I won't teach them the same way, right, right, but right. I want them to hold that lesson near and dear because it has served me greatly throughout my life. Thank you so much for sharing that. JT, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. 
What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? I'll give you a bit of my routine. Every day I get up at four in the morning. Mm -hmm. The first thing I do is I say my prayers and I'm big on gratitude, huge on gratitude. Always give thanks and I'm always appreciative. And then for the next hour, I immerse myself in business, my craft, leadership, uh, business decisions, business mistakes, business success. I'm all things leadership and business. And so I do that five days a week, Monday through Friday. Then I go to the gym for an hour, come home, get dressed, spend some time with the family. And then I'm off to the office, come home, spend some more time with the family. I make sure we eat dinner with one another every night at the table. We, have, we call it family time. Read to the kids, maybe watch a little show or whatever, play with them, tuck everybody in. But I'm very structured, disciplined, and routine. So I'm very much a lifelong learner. I just love business and leadership. So I'd love to immerse myself in the decisions that leaders make. Why did they make the decision? Why didn't it work? So every day I'm looking to learn something different about leadership and business. Great. Now I know how structured you are. What happens when you encounter an employee that's not as structured? Like, how do you adjust? So for us, everything is results driven, mm -hmm. meaning I don't care how many hours someone puts in. If they can drive results working two hours a week, great. <laughs> Count me in. As a matter of fact, I want to come spend some time with you to find out what you're doing. So I'm not big on micromanaging. I'm not big on just because you put in a lot of hours. If you're not driving any results, that just means you're not effective and efficient. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the structure and the discipline, I made this joke the other day at the office. I had everyone look around at their desk and then look at each other's desk. And I said, here's what you'll find out is when you look at someone's desk at work, you can go to their house and if they are unorganized at work and their desk is messy, there is something in their house that's equally unorganized or messy. Now, it may not be the whole house. It may be a pantry. It may be a drawer. It may be a bedroom. It may be a closet. But rest assured, how you see someone's desk at work, there is something in their home that represents that desk. And so many people were like floored because they went home and like, oh my gosh, JT, you're right. My closet is a mess, you know? And so yeah, I'm, I'm looking I'm, around I'm, my office right now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me tidy up a bit here. <laughs> so you can learn a lot. I'm big on observation. How, how do people interact? How do they do things? So yeah, everyone isn't as structured as I am, isn't as routine. My wife, it drives her nuts sometimes because mm -hmm. if the person has come to our home to clean, when they put the pictures back or they put the clones back on the counter, or whatever, and they may not be in the order of which I left them, I'm like, good God, okay, put stuff back. I'm very structured. Put the pillows back where they are, put the, the frames back where they are. So I could be a bit over the top, but I know I can also trace that back back to growing up in chaos, structure, routine, discipline. Oh, I thrive in it. I love it. So many people look at life and they'll say to themselves, oh my God, I do the same thing. Get up for work, go to work, come home, put the kids. I love knowing that I'm coming home to the same incredible woman every night. 
I love knowing I'm coming home to my beautiful family, my home. I love the structure, the discipline, and the routine. It's not mundane to me at all. It is greatness as far as I'm concerned. Mm, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, JT, if there were something you could change in education in the U.S., what would that be? <laughs> now, remember who you're talking to, JT. <laughs> Lily, you just threw like a grenade in the hole right there. <laughs> I know, but you're here because I want people to learn from you. Um, it's interesting, and I'll be gentle. I've got a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and our youngest is one. And we have another one due in November. But Congratulations. Thank you, ma'am. My four-year-old and a three-year-old, they go to Montessori school. And every Friday, they have a class called Show and Tell. And I'm blown away that we don't have show and tell in high school as well. And what I mean by that is show me how to shake hands and then tell me why it's important. Show me how to fill out a job application and then tell me why it's important. Show me that if you bring a CEO, a wealth advisor, a pharmaceutical rep, show me these people and then tell me how I can achieve that goal as well. So I'm blown away that we don't have show and tell in high school from the freshman year through your senior year, a class called Life Essentials. Again, we teach about Columbus Day, but no one teaches about debt. Where's that class? No one teaches about high interest credit cards, how a checking account, a bank account. No one teaches those lessons. Those lessons are going to serve me in life. So I feel like in education, there should be a class called Life Essentials. And obviously, I never went to college, but within our tribe, we've got people who've gone to the University of Chicago, Duke Law School, Harvard, master's degrees, just education credentials on top of educational credentials. And I've asked these people, did you learn these lessons in college? No. Did you learn them when you were getting your graduate degree, your master's? No. So where do we learn these lessons? Where are they taught? And you and I both know 40% of kids will never go to college. So we send them into the world with not even something so basic as how do I shake hands? So where's that class? Well said. Thank you so much. And it was gentle. <laughs> <laughs> I usually throw out a little more fire than that, Thank but I'm, I'll, I'll Thank leave it you, there. JT. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, JT, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should and why? One of the things that sticks with me, and I believe you could probably find this online somewhere, this ties a little bit into gratitude. And I'm not going to make it a political thing. But two, three weeks ago, my wife and I are watching 60 Minutes, mm -hmm. and they were showing people looking to cross the border. So I'm here in Texas, and so they were talking about people you know, crossing the border and the whole debate about the wall, whatever. And they showed this 15-year-old boy who had traveled over 1,000 miles to get across the border, to get into this country. And I paused the show, and I expressed to my wife, I go, here's the crazy thing. He traveled a thousand miles just to cross the border. And when you do get across, let's say you successfully make it across, here's what you get. Great. You're in our country. Now what? 
That's it. There's no food. There's no water. There's no job just sitting there waiting for you. You still have to get to the nearest biggest city. You still have to find a place to work, food, rent, money, all of those things. All you get for crossing our border is into the country. So that really stuck with me to see what hell these people go through just to get into our country. And why I look at the gratitude of it is I say to myself, okay, so I've been molested. I don't have a college degree. I have all of these things in my past, but you know what? I was at least born here. So I've already got an advantage on the fact that I was born in the United States. And it really keeps me grounded when I see things like that. And we all have heard the stories where someone's come to this country legally and seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years later, they become millionaires. And my attitude is, well, hell, if they can come here and I'm already here, I can do it too. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Now, JT, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? It's really what we talked about early on. I'm asked this question often, JT, CEO, what's the biggest challenge you have right now? What's the biggest thing you have going on? My answer now would be the same that I would go back to give myself early in youth, early in my professional career, and it'll be my same answer 10 years from now. To surround the company and myself with people who are far smarter and greater than I am and that make the company better, that raise the bar. That is the goal. So I would go back and tell my younger self, find people who are smarter and greater than you are in your career as a leader. Great advice. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed? I was gentle. I didn't throw the fire out there, but I do challenge the educational system deeply because I'm a very elementary thinker. And I even say this in meetings sometimes. I'll be surrounded by people who have so many academic credentials. And I'll say, okay, for the third grader in the room, explain this to me. And because I deal from common sense. And so I'm just blown away that we don't equip or arm our children going into the world with something as simple as a handshake or manners. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Please. Yes, sir. No, sir. We don't even do that. That is so actionable. Any teacher in America right now can go implement that into their classroom tomorrow. Right. I always say there's my three cents. Someone asked me, I go, JT, why do you say three cents instead of two cents? I go, because three is more than two. (laughs) (laughs) That's why. (laughs) Well, JT, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Lily, I'll ask the final question of you that I ask every podcast that I'm on. And I even ask this after every meeting that I'm in. Was this beneficial for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I wrote down a couple of things that I'm going to be shifting. So thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Lily. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite 
that leader in you.